Welcome to the Landscaping Podcast. My name is Joel Barnett and I am your host. And in today's episode, I'm talking with Grant Boyle from Fig Landscapes. Grant runs a design, construction and maintenance company based in Byron Bay. And he's also the author of a new book that's just come out, The Guide to Better Gardens. So in that, he talks about uh, how the process that he goes through to design gardens and uh, how other people could do it as well. So we talk about that briefly in this episode. And we also talk about how he started in the industry as a bricklayer initially and then started landscaping and had a partnership before ending up uh, going out on his own. And uh, he mentions the importance of using a business coach in the early days of starting out on his own. And something I love that he talks about is how he builds his employees from within. So rather than get putting on a, a qualified landscaper to add to the team, he'll he'll put on an apprentice and then train them up the way that he wants things to be done. So there, it is possible to employ qualified landscapers but your chances of get of getting a, a great one are, are lower compared to uh, finding a apprentice who you can mold into do things the way that you want them done so we discussed that in the chat as well and also talks about the process that he went through to get the types of work that he wants to do so again just advertising the type of work you want to do is the best way to get more of it and don't advertise the work that you don't want to do so uh, there's plenty of good tips in here in this chat with Grant, so hopefully you enjoy this chat with Grant Boyle. Grant, thank you very much for joining us on the Landscaping Podcast. My first question for you is how did you start in the industry? Thanks for having me, Joel. Um, I got my start 20-odd oh, years ago now. I was, like like a lot of people, probably not, didn't really know what direction I wanted to head with my career in, in life, and um, my girlfriend at the time said, you know, what about landscaping? It was a bit of a light bulb moment, to be honest. I kind of thought, yeah, that sounds really good and got into the Saturday paper, as you did back then, had a look, called up, called up a few guys and, yeah, got a start with a, with a one-man band on the North Shore of Sydney. And um, oh, I loved it just from day one, barring soil, bricks, digging, you know, just, just sort of ripping in all that really hard stuff. Just I just loved it all and didn't realise how much of a creative side there was, I guess, in the beginning. So it sort of brought all those elements together. Got about three quarters of the way through through the apprenticeship and, and he sort of ran out of work for, for me and a mate who, who'd started with him. So I remember I went home that night and was, was telling my housemate, you know, I've lost my job and don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, why don't you come and work with us? And he was a bricklayer and then um, thought it would just be something sort of to you know, to fill in the gaps until I found another landscaping job. And um, five years later, I was <laughs> I was like, I think it's actually time to get back into landscaping now. So I ended up getting my bricklaying trade and then we were we were working on some high-end gardens and um, I just, you know, that opened up a whole other world for me where I was like, wow, look, at, look what these guys are doing. And I just sort of approached the landscape company and said, you know, like I'm almost a landscaper. And so I jumped back on with them and jumped in with them and, Went back at night, finished my finished my Cert three in landscape construction, and um, worked for that company for a couple of years, and then went back with my mate who I'd originally done the apprenticeship with, and, and we sort of decided to go out on our own and formed a partnership with a with a ute each and a barrow and a couple of shovels, and no no clue what we were doing, <laughs> and yeah, just kicked off our, our little company there, and we lasted about four years together. And yeah, and then I started fig. So yeah, it was a bit of a journey to get to get all that way around. But um, that's sort of how I did it. And then once I started out on my own after the partnership ended, I sort of realised that um, you know if I'm if I'm going to do this, I need to do design, and I wanted to go in that direction and do the design construction sort of element to it. So went and did my diploma of design and two nights a week for a couple of years and and got that and. Then, yeah, just been been kind of learning and growing ever since. There was that guy that you had the business with. Was he the, the a bricklayer as well? No, so he, he was doing an apprenticeship with me when we were landscaping. Oh, okay, and he went and got when we when we both lost our jobs, he went and got a, another landscaping job, and right, that yep. was my intention. But I, I got in with this bricklaying crew, and I just loved it. It was um, just I, I loved. The element you'd go, you'd turn up on site. We were, we were building high-end residential homes and you'd turn up and it'd just be a big slab. And there was always anticipation of when the, when the brickies were on site because, you know, not just the stories that they, they'd tell and the shenanigans they'd get up to, but 
you know, you'd, you'd, you'd see structure go up and it'd always be a big change when, when they were on site. Mm. And I love that element of it, of just turning up and then all of a sudden there's all these walls up and then we'd go away, the builder would put the, you know, the slab on top, come back to the second story. So, you know, I really love that, seeing that process of, of that happen. And I, I loved working with the guys I was working with. And so, you know, one year turned into two, three, four, five. You know, I guess I was lucky to get my my um, bricklaying trade out of it. I got a sort of recognition of prior learning. So, you know, that that's coming really handy with all the landscaping that we do and the hard elements. And I learned a lot from that boss as well. He was um, he was only a couple of years older than me. He was running a crew of ten, sometimes up to fifteen guys, wow. and he just had a really good, savvy business head on him. Mm. And so he was a bit of a mentor, and I guess that that kind of was another reason I stuck around so long. So did you ever lay any of those uh, handmade bricks that they that's are pretty popular these days? We, we didn't do so much of that. We did a lot of double brick houses, a lot of face work, a lot of recycled bricks, a lot of blocks. Yeah, there was the, the bricklayers was like super skilled, like watching them do arches and chimneys and there's a, there's a lot that goes into all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because they they seem like a nightmare to lay. Though I think they're Krauss bricks. I don't know how popular they are. They're like a little brickette. They're kind of yeah, thin brick. There's not a not a straight thing on them. There's a <laughs> bananas all over the place. Yeah, totally. I, I find it hard enough laying a square brick, let alone one. Yeah, there's definitely an art to it. Like, I mean, yeah. it's like anything. You know, it's a skill. Once you learn how to do it, you know, you can tell a good craftsman because they make things look easy. Yeah, when and and I think that's what happens with a lot of you know on the block and things like that. People watch it and they go, "Oh, I could do that. That looks easy. That guy's not breaking a sweat. He's doing that with ease." But they don't see the ten or fifteen years experience you've had and the technique you're doing and all the mistakes you've made along the way that, that you know make it look easy. Yeah, yeah, bricklaying especially like because I, I know how to do it, but when you see someone who actually knows how to do it, who's a bricklayer, yeah. they're just like lightning and just. Just yeah. it's seamless, just buttering it up, putting it down, buttering the next one up, put it down. Just yeah. like, yeah, it's like a machine doing it. So, yeah. all yeah. that while having a chat with a, yeah. a corner of their mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas so I'm, um, I'll lay a brick, and really get, my mallet, get my mallet in the spirit level and start tapping it around. And <laughs> yeah, I think the, the key is not putting down uh, too much mud. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And getting the right consistency as well. Cause I know that there's been, uh, some bricklayers in the past get pretty angry when their consistency is not right. Yeah, well, that all comes down to your, to your labour, you know. So yeah. I guess it's it's like it, there's a lot of similarities with landscaping too. It's, um, you know, you, you, the team you have underneath you with your labourers and your apprentices go a long way to helping the tradesmen. You know, they can either be a help or a hindrance, you know, and if they um, are hindering you, then it, it's really hard to get your job done. So, yeah. you know, the better you have the guys below you the, the easier your job is yeah and what was the business called when it was the two of you uh that was called stone lotus landscapes so they're, they're still operating andrew he's, he's one of my best mates we've been mates since uh oh, 96 or something like that a long time yeah. ago <laughs> and um yeah he he bought me out and he he kept running it so that's been going for oh, 14 14 maybe 15 years now yeah it's coming up to ten years with Fig, so it's yeah, it's been it's, it's probably been about fourteen years. And what was the the main reason behind splitting up? Because seeing, seeing how you both wanted to stay working for yourselves, it was probably we didn't really we weren't able to sort of separate our roles. We both really wanted to do the design thing, and it probably came more down to me at the time. I was kind of preoccupied with a few other things, and I was. I was actually sort of studying on the side to become a school teacher and I thought at one stage that I might go down that path. And I just, I think I maybe just had sort of one foot in, one foot out and wasn't super committed. Yeah, and Andrew just sort of, yeah, I, I think realised that and just sort of wanted to break away, do his own thing. And, and you know, when, when it happened, I was, I was pretty shocked. I didn't really see it coming. But um, it gave me time to reflect and be like, you know, do I, is this what I actually really want to do? And, I made the decision that that was sort of, you know, one of those sliding doors moments where I could have easily just walked away and, and done something different. Mm. And I sort of, um, 
you know, I took a little bit of time off and, and went on a holiday and did some travelling and um, came back and thought, no, I want to give it a, give it a go on my own. Little did I know what I was really getting into. <laughs> but um, it kind of gave me the opportunity to, to sort of restart and move forward how I wanted to, you know, see the business in the longer term. So I started working with a business coach straight, pretty much straight away. Um, we'd worked with him before with, with Stone Lotus and, um, and and he really helped a lot. Shout out to John Corbin, the landscapers coach. Yeah, he's a really great guy and, um, you know, we worked together for a couple of months and then did another stint with him again and it was just good to sort of reevaluate and reassess what I wanted to do and where I wanted the business to go and what I wanted it to look like, which when it's just one person can feel like a bit of a, like it's almost laughable when you're like, oh, I want the company to be like this and structured <laughs> like this and you're looking 10 years, five, 10 years into the future, you're sort of going, oh, I just don't know how I'm going to get there, but, you know, you slowly chip away at things and um, build it up and just keep referring back to those core values and what it was, the reasons I started in the beginning and try and stay true to all of that and, um, yeah, just play the, play the long game really. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, it's good that you did get back into landscaping because I reckon uh, it seems like like if, if you're quite creative, so it would have been a struggle going to be a teacher to sort of get that creative yeah. outlet. I think so. Yeah, and I think that's was the sort of driving force behind it. And it was like as much I, I really like the element of you know teaching and mentoring my young guys in my team. I love that side of it, and I love watching them grow and develop. And so I kind of get that element of teaching anyway but the thought of being inside a classroom with a curriculum that there's not really much flexibility within that you sort of don't have much creative control was I think the reason why I just you know deep down knew that landscaping was what was what I really wanted to do and that and that's what I really love about it you know it's such a creative industry you know from creating something with your hands but also creating that idea and you get to see that whole process come to life. So with bricklaying, yeah, you get to create something and build something, but you're working on architect's plans. And you don't really have any say in, in the final look of it. But with landscaping, you just, you know, you have this idea in your head and then that becomes a plan on a piece of paper and then, you know, through a lot of hard work, that's implemented into something and then over the years it just keeps growing and changing and, there's, there's something really magical about that. It just sucks me in all the time with landscaping. It's, it's all I really think about and all I really talk about. Yeah, you know, I guess my wife gets a bit sick of that, but um, <laughs> I'm sure yours probably does. You don't switch off and you don't really talk about much else. But um, yeah, that's, <laughs> landscapers, I think. Yeah, yeah. If I'll uh, I'll give you a call if I want to talk about landscaping because my wife couldn't care less about anything that I do. <laughs> yeah, like what you're talking about with the. Um, with teaching the curriculum, there's a, a landscape architect I know who wanted to teach people about landscape architecture. So he went to uh, TAFE. He, so he was a teacher at TAFE. But yeah. it just drove him nuts because of all the planning and paperwork you have to do and lesson yeah. planning and all this other stuff that's irrelevant rather than actually teaching. you just got to tick all these boxes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's what it's so the way you're doing it is probably the most, the best way to teach people is, is not, not doing it. Um, yeah. You know, according to a certain government plan that you have to meet. And, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I and I think the thing too about teaching apprentices and teaching guys on site is, you know, they they go to class and they sit in the in the tape classroom and they learn the, you know, they learn from the teacher and they take some in. Maybe some of it doesn't sink in, but at the time, maybe they don't realise that that is actually a valuable part of it. But giving them the space on site to to do things and to make mistakes and realise why things happen and why things are important and the steps and the process and how that all interplays, I think is just, yeah, is, is a really important aspect of it. And I love being able to stand back and just watch them do things and the amount of times that they'll surprise me, you, you know, you, you'll come back to site the next day and the, the way they've done something and the detail that they've gotten and it's just it just blows you away all the time just... You know, because early on we take a lot of time in teaching them and making them do things the right way and not cut corners and think about that whole process and then it just clicks one day and then they take that a step further and, um, yeah, it's just great to watch. 
Yeah. Yeah. People always think that um, when they're when they're an apprentice that you're making all this money off them because they're getting paid bugger all at the start. But you actually make that money when they're finished their their learning because you're taking time to teach them things and they're doing things slow and you're fixing it up. So there's a reason to get paid that at the start and then you get the yeah. value once you qualify. Yeah, right. And then, you know, they're, they're also getting paid one day to study and you've got to give them that time as well and be super patient with them on site and let them make some mistakes, not any major ones, but let them make the, those small mistakes and you kind of watch them some when they're first laying like a stepper and, you know, they're putting down 100 mil of mud when they only need 50 mil and you're watching them tap it and tap it and tap it and it won't go down anymore and it won't get down. <laughs> Why won't it get down? You put, watch how much mud you put down, you know. And then they sort of learn that and then it's it just keeps going and uh, there's just so, there's so much to learn. Like I'm still learning all the time. It's just, it's just endless really. It's just an endless trade. It really is one of those lifelong kind of trades that you just there's just so much to know that um, that's what I really love about it too yeah and if you look back on it like if you had to go back and start in the industry working for you it's like working as an employee in your company it must yeah. be so overwhelming the amount of different things that you have to learn because it's hard enough to learn one trade oh, all yeah. the different things involved in let alone what all landscapers do oh yeah absolutely I remember when I started um, you know you'd be on a job and it would be, it wouldn't wasn't until you were like three quarters of the way through the project that you, the penny dropped and you're like, oh, okay, this is what we're, this is what we're doing. <laughs> this yeah. is what we're yeah. doing. <laughs> doing the setup and the footings and you just got no idea what's going on. You're like, what are you doing? Like, and the, the, the boss would be like, you know, get the tape over there and you're like, where, what, measure off? I don't, you're just so confused. You just don't even know what's going. And you look at the plans and, You've got them upside down, and you know you just, just no idea what's happening. So uh, you know, and, that, and that's funny to watch the guys, but you know, it's also you know watching them get through all of that, and you know, letting them know that like, mate, it's it's pretty normal that everyone goes through that. You know, we don't expect you to actually know anything because um, how would you? you know? And and watching them make those little mistakes and watching the penny drop and the, those all those realizations is just a pretty cool thing. Mm. I remember in my early days, we um, my boss asked me to drop the tailgate. Yeah, and I said I don't, I'm not holding anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Like I, <laughs> I don't know what you're saying to drop the tailgate. So I was, yeah, you just got no idea what anything means when you start. So yeah, I mean that's yeah. something I, I certainly would need to, um, yeah, sort of cast your mind back to what it was like when you when you started when you put on a new employer now to realize because yeah. it's hard. It's easy to get caught up in, in everything you know. That's right. Other people should know it, but yeah, it but I, I love that too because you you kind of break it all back down to basics too. So it's a, it's a good time for you to reflect as well. You get someone new, and you you know it, it kind of humbles you, and, and you've got to sort of um, you know bring it all back and go, okay, well if I if I was going to learn all this, how would I want to be spoken to? How would I want to learn mm. this? It's taught me a massive amount of patience. I remember when I first started running my own company, like yeah, and coming from a brick lane sort of background but you get screamed at all day they would just yell at you and that's just how they spoke to you and it's just just had to deal with it you know there wasn't any like oh, i don't want to be spoken to like that that's just what it was and i guess i sort of had that mentality when i started my company of um you know i was always yelling and, and then i was like you know you need to just like calm down a bit you know and um and now like when problems do happen it's dealt with in a much more calm way because you know you can throw your arms in the air and point fingers and blame people but it doesn't really get you anywhere so i always take ownership for every single mistake that happens it comes back to me um i, I either haven't given the guys enough direction or haven't um explained something properly or you know it, it all just falls back on me or i haven't given them enough training so i just try and take that approach and be calm and you know, know that mistakes happen. It's it's how you deal with it that really counts. And you know, getting sort of angry and flustered doesn't get you far. Yeah, and whoever's made the mistake usually feels bad enough about themselves. They don't need yeah. anything else piling on as well. Yeah, and, and so and, and what can happen too when you when you have that when you're that sort of scary boss or that guy that yells all the time. When someone does make a mistake, they don't want to tell you. So mm. they might put a hole in a pipe and they're like. 
shit, I don't want to tell him, so they'll just backfill it. Yeah. You know, so when you are a lot more calm and, and the guys know they can come to you and go, look, shit, I've, you know, done X, Y, and Z, you, at least you know what's happening. So yeah. uh, there's a lot more um, sort of open dialogue with the guys and um, people are a lot more comfortable to speak up and, look, I've chipped this concrete or I've done this or done that and, and you can fix it straight away rather than, Finding out from a client six months like six months later or something like that. <laughs> yeah, when things get a lot worse. That's it. Yeah. So when you started, fig, did you put on an employee straight away? Yeah, I kind of, I, I did. I, I had a mate who was um, he sort of subbed to me for the first couple of years. He's yeah, he's, he's probably one of the best tradesmen I've ever worked with. Um, just awesome guy, super relaxed, doesn't say much, but just really skilled. Trady and, and I had I was lucky enough to have him and um, I had a mate who just moved back to Darwin who was a plumber and, and he he came and helped for a couple of months and got through the first sort of few, few projects and then yeah it was just Dan and I for for a while and then yeah got a, got another young guy on and and then and then Dan went off and did his own thing and, and I put on an apprentice and a, you know I'd, I'd had got sort of other guys in between but um, it was just me and an apprentice for the first sort of you know. Those, those sort of first three out of four years until I built the company up and then I moved up to Byron. It was almost five years ago now. So my apprentice at the time, he'd been with me for a year and I said to him, look, I've bought a place in Byron. I'm going to move up there in 12 months. Um, you know, if you want to, want to come up with me, then the job's there for you. And, you know, I said, I'm not going to go for 12 months. And literally like two days, I think, before I before I moved, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll come up and give it a go. <laughs> so um, I, I moved up and I took I, – I actually put him with my mate Andrew from Stone Lotus. So Tyler went and worked with him for three months and I moved up, moved into the house, took a couple of months off and just to sort of drum up a little bit of work and then and then Tyler moved up and finished his apprenticeship and now he's my he's my leading hand. So, oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah so, you know, it's – goes back to that sort of um, investing the time in your in your apprentices and, and building the business from from the ground up that's where I've found the most success and I guess it's sort of that's why it goes back to one of those things like when you first start it's kind of you know you think oh I'm going to take on all this work oh, I need to put I need to put on a tradesman and, and all this stuff and, and what you really need is to sort of build from the ground up and there's just a lot of hours you've got to do in the beginning because you can't be leaving site all the time, so you need to be there all the time. So you need to pretty much do your 40 hours with your apprentice and start building them up and then doing everything outside of that, all your paperwork, working Saturdays, Sundays, whatever it takes because, um, you know, you, you need to get those young guys in and build them up so that after four years they become, you know, a massive asset to your business. That's that's sort of what I what I've learned over the years, and um, yeah, take the time to to build up those apprentices and build the team organically like that. One of the things I've found is when you when you bring in tradesmen, they can be great. Maybe the culture's not there. They you know can stir the pot a little bit, and that can just cause you know cause chaos really. Especially if you've got a big team and you're not around a lot. If you're off site and you're relying on the guys on site. Yeah, one bad apple, you know, can just um, can just poison everything, and and that's happened to me in the past. And you know, you, the guys are pretty slow to tell you what's going on, and then sort of all this stuff comes out, and you're like, oh, okay. And then you, you know, you got to get rid of people. I'm sure yeah. you've seen. This yeah, and then and then once you've got rid of them, you hear all these other stories that, that you should have heard about before, while they were there. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it's um. You know, the, the whole running your own business and landscaping, there's so much to learn on all the different, you know, you've got all the, the site building aspects of it, all the design elements of it, and then all the business elements of it, and then all the people skills that you need. There's so many hats that you need to wear and different areas that you constantly need to be working on. It's not just, oh, I'm a gun landscaper, I'm going to go and start my own business. Um you know, then you constantly need to be kind of upskilling and upgrading uh, everything 
in all of those different elements to run it successfully. And even then, things still pop up all the time where curveballs and things that you've got to kind of got to deal with. But um, yeah, over the years, it's just been constant learning, growing, reevaluating, reassessing, planning, implementing, and just keep pushing forward. And I always kind of come back to always remind myself because it's it's so easy to want to just take on every job and hire all these people you know we we get a lot of inquiries and we could probably triple the team overnight and do, do all these jobs but i always think of like certain trees like say an acacia grows really quickly and within a year or two it's this big tree and it's flowering and it looks great but it's got a pretty short lifespan mm. um, whereas a tree like a bracky chitin like a bottle tree put it in the ground and it does nothing for a couple of years and then all of a sudden it starts to fill out and then over time it becomes this big solid tree that is really hardy and can, you know, get through a drought and all this stuff. You can dig it up and move it and it doesn't affect it too badly. So it's a lot more resilient. So it's always reminding yourself that growing at a, you know, a consistent but more of a slow, manageable rate is better than just kind of, trying to take on all this stuff and too much work. So just always realigning with your core values, I think, is super important and remembering why you started the business and the service you want to, to give to the clients because um, that's ultimately what we're doing, you know. That's why we have clients because we're a service-based industry. We're not, we don't have customers. They're not buying the product so much. They're buying a service from us. So that comes a lot of the people skills that we that we have and delivering that, you know, super high and um, finished all the time on each of our projects. Yep, that's I haven't heard that analogy about the trees and the business, but that's the one of the best I've heard. I love that. It makes so yeah. much sense. Yeah, it's just it's so easy when it when it's busy to just want to grab all these jobs and put all these people on, but you you kind of not it doesn't allow you to grow the culture. I guess if you already are a big company and you already have 20 employees, well, getting another five, it's it's not a huge deal, I guess, because you've already got a pretty solid um, company. But if you've only got, say, five employees and you want to put on another five, like that's that's doubling, you know, that's that's a pretty big move. Yeah, it's just you know, there's a lot of things that's in play that you maybe don't realise and, need certain team leaders here and there to ensure that things are getting done and certain guys have to be on your side not one of the boys and you know so it's it's a whole nother level now, how many employees do you have at the moment the business is broken into three elements we've got the design side of things where i oversee all of the design and i've got a part-time landscape architect and two part-time designers the landscape architect is local in, in Byron and the two designers, one's in Sydney, one's in Thailand, so they work remotely. And I've got, and then I'm on, on site quite a bit as well, so I do all the project management. Not on the tools very often, but I do, do occasionally. And I've got three guys in construction, so I've got a leading hand, two apprentices, and then in horticulture I've got two horticulturalists who do all our garden maintenance and kind of small works. They'll do little garden makeover kind of jobs and edging, planting sort of things. Um, and my wife, my wife helps quite a bit in the background. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it was. And what was the type of work? Like, how did that change compared to when you were at Stone Lotus and then working for yourself in Sydney? I think it was, and then yeah, and yeah. then when you went to Byron. Yeah. So. The projects that Andrew and I were doing at Stone Lotus were, you know, the eastern suburbs, kind of courtyards, inner west sort of courtyards, I guess what you'd probably find around like Carlton, you know, in Victoria, those like, lots of terrace kind of houses, crappy access, rear lane access. So we were doing lots of, you know, floating bench seats and, and barbecues and, and sort of things like that, pool surrounds. And then when I started Figo, I sort of wanted to, you know, work more with more with native plants and more rustic kind of earthy style gardens. So that was the direction that I sort of headed with that. So using a lot of recycled materials, and, and then 
yeah, that was kind of the ethos that I had. And then moving up to Byron, you know, coming, like, I love the gardens in Victoria, like Mornington Peninsula and all that, like lots of sort of crushed granite and dry style native gardens. Like, I love all of that. And that's probably where I draw a lot of my influence and inspiration from um, and those Californian style gardens. So moving up to a subtropical area, I was a bit like, oh, <laughs> I don't hate tropical gardens, but they're not really my thing. So I've adapted my plant palette for sure about what I use and, you know, we've done a lot of, we do lots of tropical gardens and, and I love them and there's actually a lot of native plants you can use in those. And um, But my style's been really well received up here. I think I guess it's just something different that people can connect with um, and I guess I had a bit of a point of difference from I wasn't just another tropical garden landscaper. So... If someone was looking for something different, then then I, I, I was um, supplying that. And the thing that I really love about working up here is that we get to do projects in, in all the towns like Bangalore and Byron and Mullen and Brunswick Heads, which are, you know, more your suburban style block, 600 to 1,000 square metre. Everything's within, you know, 20 or 50 steps of each other. That's all. You can see it all from back door basically and then we go 20 minutes into the hinterland and you're working on you know we've planted out three three four acres of garden with pathways and you know so that's a whole different approach where the the fire pit might be 100 meters away from the house 150 meters away from the house so and it's a real journey down to get there so you've got a lot more space to work with you've still you've got a budget and you look at it and sometimes you're like how are we going to make this work but when you're using big machinery to do things and move things around, you can actually move a lot of material really quickly. You don't have this tight access. Nothing really gets barrowed. It's all just posi track, excavator. So, you can, you know, lots of tube stock grasses and plants and bulking mulch and stuff in and using a lot of gravel and things like that. Um, so it's the, the two elements of it. You probably have something similar in Geelong where you've got you know, homes in Geelong, which are on a 600 square metre block, 700 or whatever, and then I guess if you went 15 minutes inland, you're probably on acreage and bigger sites and it's, it's similar to that. So you get to work on, on, you know, all those aspects. But, I mean, that was daunting. I remember the first acreage project that I did and I was just like, what am I going to do here? <laughs> I've only ever really designed courtyards or small suburban blocks and now I've got, like, the client wants, you know, an acre and a half of garden. So there was a lot to learn in all, in all of that and it's been a real journey over the last few years. But, um, yeah, so fine. Like, um, just found our feet now, I think, with um, our approach and what we like to do and the materials we like to use and all that sort of stuff. So it's, yeah, loads of fun. Love it. Yeah, I've had people contact me to um, to ask for a design. They said we're on an acre and a half and want it all all done. I said I'm not the person for you because I've got no idea about that. That is not my wheelhouse. I'm too scared to take it on. So, uh, you yeah. know, I guess uh, I mean, you, you, for for me, it was um, you know I'd moved up here and I wanted to try and do all the work. I didn't really have any work. You know, we were sort of trying to take what inquiries we got. I got this really good lead through an architect up here. So it was kind of like a leap of faith, jump in the deep end. And we either get the job or we don't. The client's either going to like the concept or not. And thankfully, he were, we gave him a really loose, broad concept. And as we started to do work, it evolved and there was lots of stuff that was designed on site, which is another thing that I really like to me. When clients are just like, you know, just do whatever you want kind of thing this is our budget and working within that i think that's you can really create some magical spaces because you can just be creative and and work on the site because i mean i'm sure you've seen it before too you design something on paper and um, when you go on site and you've maybe you've done the excavation you start doing the set out you're like maybe this could work too and this is maybe a better idea than what we originally thought and then you go to the client and be like we just tweak this a little bit and change this and so the design evolves that's one thing that, I, that I've realized and I think it takes a really talented designer to be able to create something that when you're building it there's no changes that you can see and I, mean, I don't really I build for a few other designers um, but not many and um, I'm very selective at who I 
the gardens that I build for other people and, and you know, they're all really awesome landscape architects and designers and, and when you get those designs, it's just, you know, amazing to be able to build that and get and sort of see inside someone else's head and the way that they've approached it. I think. Yeah. And also choosing the plants can be, uh, that's, that's a tricky thing as well because I find I've done a couple recently where I haven't picked plants, so I just went to the nursery and picked out things I yep. wanted based yep. on that. So then you're looking at more of the texture and the colours of everything, and it, and I find that works. Like the end result is so much better than if I had have sat on the computer and picked them out there. So yeah, sometimes it's good to have everything already decided before you start, but other times it's good to make it work. You know, you get a more natural yep. feel about it. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's sort of how I work. Is we'll have. Um... When we do a design, it's a concept. Unless we're doing a DA and councils ask for a planting plan, we do a concept which will will lay out all the areas and detail. This is paving, edging. These are gardens. Hardscapes are really well resolved, but the planting is basically like these are all. This is all the garden. Maybe we'll put in the key trees, but and then we'll just give the client a palette. This is what we think will work and that's just all images of plants that I think will work and this is a budget that I think will cover all of that. So I'll kind of work that out, how many how many plants I think we need, put it all into a budget because so many things are seasonal as well um, and depending on when you're going to do the garden and, and it just gives you that freedom to change it six or 12 months' time when you actually go to do the job. You don't lock yourself in. And and I and I love going to the nursery. I just it's just like such a joy to do that and walk around and pick things. And um, the nurse, one of the nurseries that we've got up here, they grow native plants. And they're you know every time you go there, they've got something new that they've developed, and you know or they've got something rare that they've just grown. So it gives you the opportunity to to get all those things. And there's so many different sort of hobby nurseries up up here as well that. Um, you know, if you've got the time, you can go around. You can find all this cool, cool unusual, rare stuff that mm. you can't even imagine that it's out there until you actually see it in the nursery. You're like, what is that? And they're like, oh, this. And you're like, cool, we'll take it. So that's how I like to do it. And just keep that. It's just another element of creativity that you've got up your sleeve on site, which I think is is really cool. Yep. And and before when you were describing your style of being a uh, like rustic and I don't know if it was natural, but that's uh, they're, well. They're the words I was thinking of when I was going through your Instagram feed, um, and doc, there's not a lot of hardscaping compared to like the gravel paths and, and the soft plants. And it's yeah. also interesting that you mentioned that you still do the tropical gardens, but they don't seem to be on your Instagram. So you're sort of you, you're sort of promoting the work you want to do more of and that you enjoy doing more of. Um, I guess yeah, I do. Yeah, for sure. It's also just down to. You know, I've only got a small team, so we don't actually get through that many. It doesn't take much to book us out, mm. so especially if we do a couple of hinterland projects. We might be there for 16 weeks. So there's already, you know, what's that, you know, um, a third of the year is already gone in, in one job. So I think even for next year, I think we've got about eight projects and they're totally booked out. So, and then out of those, it takes time for things to grow and, you know, I don't like to go back until probably a year or two after and, yeah, it's just, I guess, um, just sort of depends on which ones that we, we go to. But we've got a couple coming up that are sort of getting ready to shoot that are a bit more tropical-based. And I mean, we, we do a lot of projects that, yeah, they, they don't, we don't even go back and, and shoot them just for, for whatever reason, but it's more about attracting those clients, I guess, that, that I want to do more of those projects that I want, and yep. aligning myself with the architects that I that I really like working with, and that's always been important to me is having those alliances in, in business and and cultivating and establishing those. I think is really important, especially when we're starting out. Yeah, well, it's a good a good thing to do anyway to put more of what you want to do on your Instagram because I think. Um, was quite a few years ago, Steve Taylor from Cos Design told me that there's only like five percent of the jobs that he designs actually go onto Instagram. Yeah, exactly. So, and like anyone else looking at his work would think they're all amazing, but he, what he thinks is amazing, is what he yeah. wants to put on there. So, yeah. yeah, you've got to enjoy what you do more so than other people do. 
Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, that was something that I picked up early on. When I first started the business, it was, um, you know, when you first start, you've got, you've got no content, you've got no website, you've got no real way to get leads other than, say, high pages or friends and family or, you know, back then you could maybe put an ad in the local paper when people still looked at that. Um, but there wasn't really a way to generate leads. So I kind of thought, well, what are the projects that I want to do? I wanted to do more high-end jobs. Okay, well, where do people get, like, the stone for those jobs? Oh, okay, for Eco Outdoor. So I contacted Eco Outdoor and said, you know, and I already had a relationship with them from my um, partnership, but um, I contacted them and said I'd love to, if you could put my name forward, just even for any small paving jobs and um because I just sort of studied design, um, you know, you, you get a call from a client. They, in their mind, they were going to do 20 square metres of paving. But when you got out there as a designer and said, well, what about this and this and this, you then turn that small job into a bigger job. And that becomes something that maybe you can go and photograph. And then all of a sudden, you've got some content. And then you can, um, and if you're doing those things that you want to be doing, then now you've got content, the things that you want to do. And investing in getting a photographer, don't take photos on your iPhone or, you know, with a hose in the pool. Get the detail that you want so you can really get those sharp photos and get them on your website. And even if you've only got one job on your website, if it's well styled and, and well shot, then you sort of, people can see what you're capable of and, um, and then you just build it from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I noticed as well. Like your photos are really nicely done they like the lighting's you know perfect so it's yeah you do a really good job with it yeah i've used the same photographer the, the whole time i've had the company so she was actually a wedding photographer and she was a friend of a friend and i said i got her number and i said look i'm after a photographer to shoot some gardens for me she's like i've never done that before and i'm like that's all right would you would you want to and she was like yeah i'd love to so she came out and shot a couple of jobs and, um, you know, from that now I think all she pretty much, well, not all she does, but a lot of what she does now is garden photography. So, yeah. you know, from me, you know, someone else called her and someone else and someone else. So it's sort of built that and she loves it because, you know, she, she's been come from a wedding background where there's so much pressure from the bride and there's people and there's all this movement to now come in and just shoot something that is just serene and, doesn't talk back and you can take your time and you can wait for the right light and so it's it's been really enjoyable for her but I've just found that that consistency has worked for me and I always sort of you know it's like with my suppliers if if I use them once and I really like working with them then I'll just keep using them I don't same with my subcontractors I, I don't fish around for the cheapest price or I'm just not into that I'm just all about the relationships and um, building upon those and yeah, I'm sure that if I went to, say, another excavator company and said, you know, could you guys do me a better price on this, I'm sure like some up, upstart company would say yes, but to me it's it's not about that, you know. It's, it's the trust that you have in contractors and your suppliers and that really creates that successful business because as you go on, you realise that, well, the company becomes more than, you know, more than just me or, director it's it's all these people that are connected that are creating these these things and it's like that with architecture and building and um, you know, the, yeah the builder might be the boss of the company but if you've ever been on a high-end house build the amount of trades skilled tradesmen that come in it's just unbelievable mm. these guys just do their thing that no one's watching them what they're doing so everyone's accountable for their own work and that's, we've got a really strong building industry in Australia and I think it's easy for people to, homeowners, maybe at the lower end of the market, there's some cowboys getting around, but as soon as you get up into that higher end of the market, it just doesn't fly. You just can't, you can't be a cowboy, you're not going to last. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of our approach and it's worked so far. Yeah, and the good crews stick together, like the good bunches of um, all the different trades who work for a builder on certain projects. Like we've got a couple we work for, and you see all the same other trades as well. And then yeah. as soon as as soon as one does something wrong, like that's they try to get away with something, you never see yeah. them again. 
That's right. Because yeah. you've got to keep, you've got to be right at the top if you want to work on those projects. Yeah, that's right. And you've got to be accountable because you know that's why you you brought into the job because you've got the reputation and you're going to do the right thing and, and do a good job. And and I, and I think that you know it comes through with, with those companies that, that do high end work. You can see the level of detail and skill involved, and a lot of it comes down to all those unsung heroes, those trades that probably don't even they don't even get a mention on Instagram. It's usually just the builder and architect. Mm. I'm in the landscaper, but there's so many other trades that have gone into doing doing things, and even the plumbers that we use and the way they'll do their pipe work, and it's all going to be underground, and it's just all so neat and yeah. well done and well thought of, and you know, there's just so much skill involved in in every trade. But I definitely think landscaping has has a whole other element to all the other trades because it's, you know, yeah, you might not master every trade, but I think the experience you get across all those trades accounts for more than just mastering one trade. So there's a lot more skill that has to go into knowing knowing everything and it's really just an outdoor build-up. I think you've got, as much, you've got to have as much knowledge as a build-up um, especially if you're doing pools and those really hard element landscapes. There's a lot of levels to work out, a lot of subgrades to work out. That can be a really difficult thing for people too. So you've, you've got to have a really mathematical mind as well. It's one thing just doing a, a garden on a totally flat block, but if you've got a six-metre level change and there's lots of retaining walls and stairs and you've got to work out how to do a cut for all of that and you want to make sure you cut out exactly what you need to because otherwise you're going to need a lot more concrete um, or if you don't cut out enough, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and when the excavator's gone, you're going to be digging crawl out my hand. So you've really got to like bring your game when you're doing projects like that and um, you know have that knowledge and that skill base is, is critical. Yeah, I've said a few times that landscapers are like an, an outside builder, like you say, because you've got to get all these different trades in. Uh, and then when people ask, because like, not everyone is sure what landscapers do because, uh, yeah. you know, some do more than others and some do less. But um, but basically I'll tell clients everything that's outside the house, we do that. So, yeah. Yeah. Or, can, yeah, or can organise it if we don't do it ourselves. Yeah, that's 100% right. I mean, we, we try and do we try and do sort of 80% of it. If we are, you know, if it's a small deck, we'll do it. If it's a big deck, we'll usually get chippies in. If it's some intricate timber work, we'll get chippies in. But my guys like building, doing timber stuff. Same with stonework. If it's a little bit of stonework, we'll we'll do that ourselves. But a lot of the jobs that we, we work on, there's massive amounts. Of, you know, the stonemasons are there for months. So, yeah, we'll sort of bring stonemasons in. They're probably our two biggest trades that we use. Everything else we'll do ourselves. Like I remember when I was in Sydney, um, some of the companies there, like they get a concreter in to do their their slab, they get a tiler in to do their tiling, you know, they they get chippies in to do the timber work, and, and all the landscapers are really doing is project managing and then planting it out, maybe doing the irrigation, and, and that works for some companies. But yeah, I definitely feel like doing it all yourself is you've got a bit more control over it all. The guys are a lot more invested in it as well when they're getting to do it and they're learning all the time as well. So, yeah, my, my guys, as, as hard as it can be some days, um, super physical work, I think once you get to the end of the job, it's usually once you've spread out all the soil, all the hardscaping's done and you've got all the levels and then everyone just takes a big breath and you get that plant delivery and you just bring them all in. They're not even set out and it just totally changes the vibe of the whole space and then you there's a whole another level of excitement that comes on then as well. There's always a bit of a buzz around, you know, when you start a project, you've got the plans and you're like, this is going to be a cracker and then you've got to get through all the excavation and construction and, yeah, and then like I said, once you once you get to that planting stage, it just really comes to life and, you know, I can, I'm, I'm sure it would be like that when you do your, you know, your show gardens that, you know, you're probably building it all and you're going, is this going to, is this going to look any good? And then once you bring all the plants in, you're like, yeah, okay, because it, <laughs> it can feel a little bit bare and naked, and you've got all this hardscape and brown dirt, and you're like, oh, is this is this going to work? And then it all just comes together and is softened, and it brings that that life to it. 
Yeah, with my experience of the last show garden, I didn't think anything other than the till the very end, because you just got your head down, bum up, yeah, like madman, and then oh no, it actually looks good. That's yeah. nice. But um, yeah. but what you're saying before about the like Sydney, those companies in Sydney who their landscape is sort of they subcontract everything. That's yeah. another example of the importance of growing your own rather than hiring like a, a um, qualified person because you could hire a qualified landscaper who's worked for that company in Sydney doing their apprenticeship there. And yeah. all they've done is seen everything get exactly. done. They don't know how to do it themselves, but they're yeah. they're qualified. Yeah, that's a tricky part about it. You can still get qualified without knowing how to do half the things. Yeah, it's a hundred percent right. And I mean, um, even now, like we'll, we'll design something, and you know, I'll show the guys the plans, and they're like, "How are you going to build it? How like, how are you going to do it?" I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know yet. <laughs> um, maybe this way or that way and um you know and and they've always got ideas like what about this or that and um and then you sort of go yeah okay and so i'm always challenged myself on things you know like the the building side of things that was never really my my strong suit i always came from that more creative side um the design side was always where i leaned a little bit more i never wanted to just be a designer i still love all the stuff on site but that was probably just a bit more of side that I, I'd lend on more but um you know I love being on site watching things come together and being built and saws and drills and all the noise and the mixes going and you know the tunes are on and, and things are getting built and happening and each day it comes together a bit more a bit more and you know I, I love that element of it but, yeah I guess the design side is probably a little bit more where I where I get I just get a little bit more of a thrill out of that I guess um, and I also love that I love presenting a design. So I love once you've, you've gotten the design ready to go and present to a client and there's always some nerves and anticipation about that. You maybe design something that's a little bit out there or you put something in that maybe they weren't expecting and they love it straight away. And they're like, yeah, when can you start? And it's that it's just such a dopamine hit for me. I just, I just love that. It's such a thrill. And I'm sure anyone in sales probably has that same thing. When you get a sale, it's, you know, it's, it's always sort of lights you up. Um, but I love that, that, you know, the clients are thrilled with it and they're just ecstatic and they're like, when can you start? And then you, you now you've got to figure out how you're going to do it. And that creates the whole next layer of it. So it's just to get that project from conception to completion is just so much back and forth and thinking and, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realise. Um, it's not just the time on site. There's all these other hours. Like I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, okay, that's how we're going to do it. You know? Or I'll get up and I can't sleep, so I'll get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go take the dog to the beach and, you know, think about things. No one can call me. No one can email me. It can just can have that time to get stuff done and, um, and to think and everyone's still asleep and it's still dark and, it just always thinking, always into it, and um, I find that um, most of my mates who I chat to are landscapers. <laughs> you know, so that it's just it's it's my life, really. It's just there's no disconnection. It's, um, yeah. yeah, it's always something I'm thinking about. Yeah, I'm lucky because I, I have two showers a day, and that's where I do my best thinking. So that's when I come up with ideas on how you're you actually going to build that thing. I'll, that's when I'll work it out. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love it. So good. Uh, and just recently you brought out a book as well on uh, on like, teaching people how, how you go about the design process. So when how long has that been in the, in the works for? Oh, like as an idea, probably two years, three years maybe. As an idea, I've had it. And... I hadn't really kind of, aside from my wife, I hadn't really spoken to anyone about it because even until I released it, no one knew that I was going to release it because, I mean, for one, I never knew if I was actually going to be able to finish it. It took probably about 12 months to put together. So to write all the content, and this was another getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and doing punching out half an hour, an hour or whatever time I had or later at night, but I always find early in the morning I'm a bit better at night and just a bit tired. But first thing in the morning, a bit more, um, a bit more fired up. So, yeah, I just chipped away at it over 
nine to 12 months. And as I sort of said to you before we started, my wife is the kind of brains behind it, Kirsty, and she actually deserves probably 90% of the credit for it. She put the whole thing together and she's got, she's a designer herself, a fashion designer by trade, and she's just got a really great um, eye for detail and super creative. So she pulled it all together and um, kept pushing me to finish it. You know, I got a bit weary towards the end there. You know, it's like when you're on a project and you've got mm. that last 5%. You've got, as you're going through, you're like, oh, we'll, we'll get to that bit later. We'll get to that bit later. And then you get to the end and you've got all these little, I'll get yeah. to that later bits that now you've got to go and fix. Like two weeks worth of work, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was kind of like the whole thing wasn't all quite finished and so I just really had to, to focus and get over the line. So she kept me pretty motivated and, and driven to, to do that. But, um, yeah, it's just the premise of it was that I was – I get a lot of inquiries from all up and down the East Coast and we only really design projects that we're intending to build. We do a few up in Noosa and I do a couple in Sydney for past clients and stuff like that, but um, mainly in the Byron Shire are the jobs that we design and build, but I was getting – people in Victoria and south coast of New South Wales and Coffs Harbour and, you know, we want you to come into our garden. And um, so I put together the book to be so that people could either use it uh, as a DIY tool. So it's got lots of, it's got a plant index and lots of ideas about all the materials that I pick and how I put them together, planting, and soil, everything that kind of goes into it. So if you had a little corner in your garden that you wanted to, put some native plants in, you could use the book to do that. Or you could, if you were going to do a bigger project, you could use the book as kind of like your inspiration guide where it's got already a formulated plant list with trees, shrubs, grasses, ground covers, materials that you can pick. There's a fire pit design in there. So you could go to your landscaper and go, this is what I want it to look like. There's a link to a Pinterest page as well so you can pull all images together there's a supplier list so there's lots of tools in there to help you get on your way and then yeah you can pick a local landscaper and kind of use it to to do the garden that way yeah, awesome and you had good feedback in the early days since it was released yeah i have actually it's been it's been really nice because um you know like it took such a long time to do and i didn't really know whether people would sort of receive it well or but it's just been it's been awesome yeah, lots of people have been super into it and I get lots of messages all the time and photos on this is the little spot we're going to do and so that's what awesome. yeah, it's, it's been great, yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, so and what is the um, the path of the business looking like in like five years' time? Do you, would you always just have the one crew on the construction side, do you think? Look, I've got a, I've got a pretty big plan. I've always got big dreams. I can't really tell you what they are because <laughs> – I don't know if I'll get to them all, but there's definitely growth. I've got a growth mindset, so, yeah, there's different directions I want to take it in and growth and um, I've got a strategy for all that. So, yeah, I mean, the idea is to grow the business for sure. Organically is always the is sort of the approach. Um, but, yeah, which direction it will head, I'm, I'm not 100% sure yet. I just take it one day at a time. Yep. And how long since you've spoken with John Corbin, the landscaping coach? Have you used him? Uh, John Corbin, uh, we message every now and then, just as like a friendly kind of thing on Instagram or the odd text. Uh, last time I did any training with him was, uh, was probably going back six years, just before I moved up. Okay. Probably before I moved up to Byron, yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, he's awesome. John, he's such a good guy. He's, he's just super relaxed and, you know, when, when you first start out and everything flusters you and you just – he's just a really level-headed, all right, let's break it down. Let's, you know, what's how are we going to get you there? And what are you going to do? And, um, I, and that's a, another point I actually wanted to say was, um, you know, having a mentor is, you know, probably been one of the best things that I've ever done. Just having that sounding board that you can talk to about different ideas and business and life. And John is, he kind of becomes a bit of a mentor. Yeah, you're paying him to do it, but some mentors you do have to pay. But yeah, it was a great experience to really 
it's hard work because you realise what a messy business it is. Um, so there's that's a lot what, of work you've got to do. To, uh, that's why I don't use one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of organised chaos, I guess. That, uh, that how, I mean, that's how I operate now. You know what, where you've got to put your time, and there's only so many hours in the day. You know, I'm uh, still like to get my eight hours sleep. I'm not one of them. I'm not Elon Musk who gets you know they get four hours sleep or something. You know, and they constantly work. I just um, that's not for me. So I, I know the areas where I've got to put the time. And if I've got a big deadline, I'll get up really early in the morning and I find that that hour in the morning, it's like three hours at night. You just, there's no distractions. You're not, there's, your kids aren't coming in, your wife's not, dinner's not ready. You just, you're in there and you just get it done. And because it's still dark outside, you want to just like get in and get it done. You're not like mucking around on your phone or anything. So just knowing where you're going to put your time, I think is super important. And is there any like business podcasts or audio books that you listen to? Because like, it sounds like you um, follow the extreme ownership model. You mentioned that earlier. Um, I listen to yeah, I listen to loads of podcasts. I listen to yours every Monday. That's on the way to work. It's usually one of the best. It's always a highlight. It is one of the best. It's, um, <laughs> I really like that. So um, I listen to uh, different guys like Jay Shetty, Ed Milet. I used to listen to Joe Rogan, kind of gone off him a little bit now, but um, just kind of business and mindset, rich role, just, yeah, um, yeah, just guys like that that are kind of promote wellness and business and, and how all that interplays as well. Um, that's one thing I've, I've sort of found over the years as well is, you know, keeping fit, keeping that mindset and looking after your mental health is super important because... Running a business is really stressful and it is really hard, and especially if you have a mortgage and you have kids, your partner's not working. It all comes down onto you. And so not being a reactive person I think is super important to so you can cope with all the stresses and you're not coming home as that like highly strong person and you're able to cope with all the, the drama and the hate that's going on and... Um, still keep a little head and um, get things done and and I think gardening and landscaping you know such a good industry to be in because not only is it super supportive but you're getting to work with the soil with plants and it's a really therapeutic process in itself so it's it's hard to, I, I usually find a hard day comes because of an issue with a client it doesn't come because you don't like the look of the tree you've got or something like that. You know, it's usually comes from another person, the, the stress. Yeah, just being able to work outside, work with plants and work with young people as well. Like um, I, I still consider myself young, but, um, you know, some of my um, team, like when they're, oh, it's, I could be their dad now and <laughs> that's a pretty pretty scary thing to think about. But um, you realise there's a whole level of responsibility on how I mentor these guys and, bring them through and the sorts of things that I say to them and teach them. So it's, um, yeah, it's just endless. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's frightening. One of my, um, I've got a school-based apprentice and he's only four years older than my daughter. So, <laughs> and so that's, and so that's pretty wild. But. I know, it's funny because I still just see myself as being like, I don't know, I guess like I'm 40, how old am I, 43. And I don't, I don't feel the day of 23, and I still kind of act like that in a lot of ways. And <laughs> things I'm still interested in all the same things, the same music, and uh, you know, and I, I chat to my mates, and we go, "What about you know, we used to play in this band or do that?" Oh, that was 25 years ago. What? <laughs> Where did all that time go? And uh, you know, I've got, I've got an apprentice who's 19, and just you know, it's just so funny. Every Monday, we're like, "All right." All right, Jay, let's hear it. Come on. <laughs> what yeah. do you do on the weekend? Because, uh, you know, I was in bed at 8.30 each night. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever we've got the radio on, uh, one of my other guys, he's uh, 33, and he always, whenever there's a band comes on, they'll be like, like U2 came on the other day, he goes, and he asked the 16-year-old, he goes, have you heard of U2? He's not, hasn't heard of them. All sorts of bands, he's never heard of them. <laughs> I know, that's Okay, yeah, it's a, there's a big gap there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, times have changed a lot. Um, Technology has definitely changed things a lot. 
Um, and it's still going to just change so much more. I mean, I don't even think we've seen the beginning of what is going to happen. I mean, in another 10 or 15 years, it's just going to be crazy how much technology is overlaid on everyone's life. So it's, yeah, it's a good industry to be in because you're still working with so much of nature that um, hopefully technology doesn't change all that. Um, but, yeah, that's what, that's what I really love about the industry is um, the people and the plants, I guess, you know, just getting to combine those two elements, I think, is just is magic. Mm. And last question for you, Grant, who do you think would be a good guest to have on the podcast? So a good guest. I, I think it'd be good to chat with um, – I'll give you two. So there's another local landscaper up here in Byron called Brett. Byron Bay Ranger, he's a pretty distinctive name, but uh, Brent's a really cool dude, and he's been up here for twenty years. So he's got, you know, a lot, and he runs like super successful landscaping company. I think I was just chatting to him the other day. I think he's got like twenty staff or something like that. So, and he's a super relaxed guy. So I'd love to get the insight into how he how he does that. And also Paul from Exotic Nurseries. They're one of the big nurseries in Sydney. And just awesome guy, family-run business, and would just yeah also love to hear about his journey and his childhood and what it was like growing up with the, the nursery kind of background and and all of that. Um, so yeah, they, they'd be my two. Yeah, they have one of the most photogenic displays as well. Yeah, it's all he puts so much time and effort into that. You know, we've been we've been using Exotic for like since Andrew and I started 14, 15 years ago. And it's just been amazing to watch their growth and, and how the business has changed. And it's really, you know, the sign of, a, you know, a good business owner who goes with the times. And Paul has definitely taken, you know, exotic in that direction. And, um, you know, it's if I was when I was in Sydney, if I was ever stuck on oh, what plants am I going to use for, for this job, it's just go out to the nursery, walk around, and, and you'll find some inspiration there. And, um, yeah, it's always such a good way. It's just nursery visit is just the best. Yeah. Oh, Grant, thank you so much for coming on. I absolutely love this chat. That, that's always why the ones that go over an hour is quite obvious because I'm sort of holding back questions, but it could have gone for two hours. We could have do a Joe Rogan style. But, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and look forward to following along and good luck with your book. Yeah, thanks, Joel. Appreciate it.